Well, again, good morning to everybody. It's great to, to be with you and looking forward to sharing this, this message with you. We're in part four of a series called um, Unstuck. And the, the big idea behind this series, how it originated, is that there are certain areas of our lives where, for whatever reason, we feel stuck. Um, and what we mean by that is an area where we feel like we're not growing the way we should, or we're not progressing towards health uh, like we should, or like we want to, and it feels truly like we're stuck. And being stuck is not a good place to be. It's not a fun place to be. And the main pathway to be getting unstuck is something that we've been kind of emphasizing all four weeks of this series. You can find it um, on the screen here in just a moment, that getting unstuck has more to do with a change in you than a change around you. And I think and I hope that that's good news for you because sometimes you don't have control around the circumstances that you're in. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But just because we can't control circumstances does not mean there's not hope to get unstuck because maybe the change that's needed is a change in you and not a change around you. And so this week, we're going to unpack something in a a certain area of life where many of us, probably most of us, have felt stuck before. You find it on the screen, feeling stuck at work. Now, the reason why I know that most of you in this room have felt this way is because statistics tell me that. In fact, just recently, a Gallup poll did a survey on how Americans enjoy their jobs. And over 70% of Americans feel dissatisfied or frustrated at their job or at work. And when you dig into that statistic, there are lots of reasons, as you might expect, as to why 70% of Americans feel frustrated with their jobs. Um, One reason is because of corporate culture or company culture or work culture. The people that they work with or the bosses and the managers, they're just not happy people. They don't like their job. They're not nice. They don't care about you. It's a reason. For some. For other people, it's just that they feel like they're in a dead-end job. There's no real hope for advancement or growth, and so it gets frustrating. You feel, you feel stuck. For other people, maybe it's feeling disrespected by the people they're around. For some people, it's um, feeling like you're, you're underpaid. For other people, it's the, the job is fine and all. I've talked to some of you about this, I, so I know you're out there. Um, the job is fine, but you just don't feel like you're really making a difference. Or you're not, you know, what you do is fine and all, but like there, there's a bigger fulfillment that you would wish for and hope for. And there's lots of different reasons, but the reality is that 70% of Americans go to bed on Sunday night with a pit in their stomach because they realize they got to go to work on Monday morning and it's not a place that they enjoy. Couple that with the fact that you got to work. I got to have a job because the family needs to be supported and the bills need to be paid. And you know where you find yourself? Somewhere between dissatisfaction 
with your job, frustration with your season of life, and the necessity for having a job, what do you think goes in the middle in there? Yeah, stuck. That's how we feel. Stuck where we're at. And here's the thing. I think you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your employer to figure this out. To start to get the wheels turning towards unstuck. I I heard uh, one guy who couldn't stand his job be asked the question, so why do you work there? It was a higher paying job. Said, so that I can retire. Now, some of you may be there, and I, but just think about that for a moment. So, so this guy hates his job. And he's going to spend most of his life doing something he doesn't like, waiting for a few years at the end of his life doing the things that he does like. Or to put it in a different way, he's going to use the best years of his life, his, where he's got the best health and the best mind and the best strength, waiting on the years where, and if you're older, you know, no offense, but where you have less strength and less health and less ability to accomplish things. We need to, we need to figure this out. We need, to, we need to talk about this. And, and in case you think that I'm only talking to people who have jobs here and in your season of life, you don't have a job because you're too young or too old, no, that what we're going to talk about today applies to you as well. What we're going to look at today applies to you as well. And, and, and as you hear about all this stuff with job and being, you know, sort of uh, disenchanted with it, maybe at this point you can hear the words of the great philosophers of the 80s speak to you. Um, Their name is Twisted Sister. And their words go like this. We're not going to take it. No, we ain't going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. And if you're ready, based on the last five minutes, to go to church, go to church, to go to work on Monday and hand in your resignation paper because you're not going to take it anymore. Let me just say that Pastor Ben thinks that that's a horrible idea. And do not go to your boss saying, I heard a message and he told me to quit my job. I did not tell you to do that. All right? That is a really, really bad idea. But for some of you, For some of you, maybe it is time to start thinking about it. Maybe for some of you, it is time to start praying about it. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's time to start talking with people whom you trust and have a, a biblical worldview like you do. And to start asking them about what they see in you and in your life. And let them speak into your life about what your gifts are and and how they see that maybe you could find what you're looking for, let's say. huh? Maybe for some of you, it's time to start thinking about changing your job. But for most of you, for most of you, Probably the key is to realize that unstuck happens more so when it's a change in you 
than a change around you. For most of you, it's not that you need to change your job, for most of you. It's just that you need to recognize that maybe something needs to change in you, even more than something needs to change around you. Because here is the unfortunate truth about work. Our first fill-in. The dream of the perfect job ended in Eden. For those of you who are new to the Bible, that's the garden where Adam and Eve lived, Garden of Eden. And let me just tell you something about work. You think work was a curse from God. Biblically speaking, you're wrong. You see, God gave work before there was sin. Genesis chapter 2, God tells Adam, Adam to go and to, to work, to take care of the world and the garden that he gave him. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve screw up in sin. Sin comes to the world and then God says, you know what? Work's going to stink. <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But work on its own is a tremendous privilege. And in fact, God doesn't want you to waste your life. He wants you to use your life and your gifts to the absolute fullest with the opportunities that are in front of you because some of you have different opportunities than others. But take the opportunities that you've been given and the gifts that you have and to use them to their utmost. But since the fall into sin, the dream of a perfect job ended because the people you work with are sinners. And in case your company, you think your company is the only one, the people I work with at Bethlehem, notice I'm pointing the finger, are sinners. And they work with a sinful person too. Every work culture, every work environment, every interaction you have with people is affected by sin. And so people are going to get crabby. And people are going to be self-focused. And people are going to forget about you because they're more interested in themselves at times. The only thing is, Christians, that too often we're part of the problem. Because either we are that crabby coworker, or, or we go to work with a complex. And we get up on Monday morning and we think, oh, this place stinks and no one sees me. And no, one, no one cares about what I do. And we go to work with a victim mindset. We set ourselves up sometimes. Now, here's why this drives me so crazy. Because there's a way to get unstuck. There is a simple biblical shift in perspective that can change how you feel about your job as early as tomorrow morning. There's a simple shift in perspective that has the power before you change your job, if you really think that that's going to be needed, to become unstuck. And I get to share that perspective with you today. It's going to be written about uh, by a first century pastor named Paul. He's writing to a group of Christians in a Mediterranean coastal city named Colossae. Now, interestingly enough, the exact verses we're going to look like, the look at, the immediate context is written to slaves. 
The reason is that many of the people who are going to be reading this were slaves, servants. And let's just be really clear. Um, Although slavery shows up in the Bible, it's never something that God was pleased with or happy with. Paul, by writing to slaves, is not saying like he puts a stamp of approval on slavery. Slavery and, and owning people has always been wrong, has never been God's plan. But since Paul knew his audience and he maybe didn't have a power to change the Roman government, instead he was writing to people in their context. But in the midst of this writing to slaves in their context, there is truth for slaves and workers and stay-at-home moms, and kids, and retirees, and all of us. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do that. Obey not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, or to gain their approval or favor, but do it with sincerity of heart and reverence, for the Lord. So Paul addresses slaves, and in essence, he's like, you know what? If that's the season of life that you're in, I don't condone it, but be the best slave, the most faithful servant you can be. And don't get tempted to only be a good slave or servant or worker when the supervisor's in town. But to be faithful. All the time. Verse 23. So how's that going to happen? Well, who does this include? I I think this first phrase says that this includes you too. Whatever you do, whatever your job is, whoever you work with, whatever context you're in, however you feel about your job, whatever you do, work at it, with all your heart. Don't mail it in. It's not right. Oh, we're going to have our bad days. None of us are perfect. But give an honest day's work. Work hard, Paul is saying. And because Paul says it, we know that God admires it. When we, whether we're a student in high school or grade school, a worker or a retiree, when we come at each day working at whatever it is before us with all our heart, that's hard, but here's the next part. Do it as working for the Lord, not for human masters or people. You see, we need to camp out on this verse a little bit. Because I think sometimes we find ourselves subconsciously saying, well, I don't like my boss, my manager, my department, and they don't really show to care about me, so I'm going to care a little bit less too. Or they don't put in a full effort towards me, so I'm not going to give them a full effort either. And besides, I'm doing more than, you know, what I'm getting compensated for anyway. In this verse, Paul gives us an entirely different perspective to have. And it dovetails with our next fill-in, which says this. That who 
you work for transforms where you work at. Who you work for transforms where you work at. Have you ever had a job where the boss was awesome? If you don't know what that's like, just talk to Pastor Matt. He'll tell you all about having an awesome boss, all right? Uh, Manager, whatever I am, I don't know. I'm a guy. But when you have an awesome boss, it makes work better, doesn't it? Almost every single time. Because you know that you're being heard. You know that you're being cared for. You know that not everything may be perfect, but at the end of the day, there's someone you go to work for, and it transforms the place you work at. Probably, I would say, one of the biggest factors to enjoyment at your job is who you work for, to be really honest. It's that human relationship aspect. It's not the only, but it's, it's a big one. We don't all have awesome bosses. But what Paul is saying is, you do. If you are a Christian, we should go to work each day recognizing that our boss ultimately is not the one we see with our eyes in the office down the hall. Our boss, the one we truly work for at the end of the day, is God, is the Lord. A Christian has a higher authority than the boss with the title. It's our Lord God. So it continues this way, verse 23 again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I want to talk to you about something. We're still working on our perspective right now, okay? I want to talk to you about something that I'm going to coin. It's up on the screen, an inheritance mindset. So you got to put yourself back 2,000 years ago when these words were being written. You got to got to remember that for most people their job was to work the family farm, right? It was an agricultural society, not all but most. And the idea behind that culture and that was for thousands and thousands and thousands of years is that you work and if you're one of the sons or especially the oldest son that someday you're going to get all dad's stuff, right? And so You can't work for dad without having an inheritance mindset. And on some days when you don't really like dad's rules or how dad wants to plow the field, you just buck up and do it because you know the inheritance is coming. And that's kind of like a, you know, maybe a negative example of an inheritance mindset. But there's other days where it's like, you know what? Dad's someday going to entrust me with all this. I want to work for him. I've got an inheritance mindset. What did slaves that Paul's writing to not have? An inheritance mindset. Why? Because they didn't have an inheritance coming. They were possessions, not sons. How that changes things. So in this verse that we just read, it says, Work is to the Lord knowing that you have an inheritance waiting for you. You know what Paul does? He takes a group of people who did not have an inheritance mindset and he gives them one. 
you have a greater inheritance than what any earthly father could give. And I want you to live and work for your master, for your boss, for your teacher, for your parents in mind or in light of inheritance that's waiting for you. And this dovetails so well what Paul writes with what Peter wrote uh, around the same time. First Peter chapter 1 says this, In his mercy, God has given us new birth as we become uh, Christians that have faith into a living hope, hope of heaven, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what purchased it. And as you become a Christian, you get an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. When Jesus Christ died, he took away and paid for all our sin, even people who've screwed up at work and have had a bad attitude, whether as a boss or an employee, all those sins paid for on the cross. He's given you new birth into a living hope that even you, even I, can get to heaven someday. And then he reminds us and gives us an inheritance that we did not earn, but is ours when we die. And what Paul is saying is live and work and change diapers and volunteer at the VA and flip burgers and analyze numbers and fix toilets and do all those things in light of the inheritance that God has given you. You don't just have a loving boss who is God, Paul is saying. He's saying, let me tell you how he is loving Work as if you have an inheritance as a reward because you do. And I think what we need to close with here is part two. We've talked about the attitude, but then what does that look like day to day at your job? Because you still might not feel like you're doing anything significant, even though you're going to work on Monday, hopefully for the Lord. There is a way to feel fulfilled. There is a way to recognize that no matter what it is you do, that you can make a difference. Here's what Paul wrote to some Christians in Corinth. He wrote these words, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our, our third fill-in based on that passage and all we've talked about is this, that the purpose of your life is to glorify God with your life. You know what that means? It means that there is no job without significance. There is no season of life you're in old or young, without the potential to make a difference. And I think sometimes we get in the mindset that it's only, um, it's only church workers that are in ministry. If you're a Christian, you signed up for ministry. In whatever you do, in whatever job you may not like the most, <laughs> how? Like, do I need to put like a, a 
a statue of Jesus on my desk? Is that, I mean, how, how, how do I do it all to the glory of God? Well, there's this, uh, th- this section that Martin Luther wrote uh, years ago. I'm not the, the greatest Martin Luther quote uh, scholar or anything like that, but this is one I've, I've used more than once, even in a message in the past. But it, it goes like this. It says that the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. And you and I think, like, there's no way that that could be. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps. Our scope is so narrow sometimes. But because God loves clean floors. God loves it when that, in this term, maid, does the role in front of her as best as she can or he can without complaining, but just doing what she can do. (laughs) The quote goes on. And the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty, (laughs) not by putting little crosses on the shoes, not by putting a, a bumper sticker, you know, I follow Jesus on the back of your car. Like, that's okay, but, you know, you don't have to do things like that necessarily to give glory to God, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship, not just because God loves, like, good shoes, but instead because God loves it when what you do and the season of life that who put you in and the job that who allowed you to have, that he gave you, that he put you in, that you do it to the best possible way that you can. Here's what I think. I think when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, this has the power to change the way you feel about the job you have before you ever change your job that you have. Who do you work for? It's his job description, even more so than the one on paper or on your computer. What mindset do you have? You know, like we we go through, have you ever gone to work with a vacation mindset? It's amazing how helpful that is, isn't it? I can't be like four months away and the vacation mindset like just gives you a little, you know, pep in your step or whatever. (laughs) Seniors in high school right now, you know what they have? The senior slide mindset, right? And that affects things. I know some people are close to being done with their job, right? Or something, you know, like, or not. But we have Mind, what, what we go into, whatever it is with the idea of, affects, God says, have an inheritance mindset. And then do whatever it is you do to the glory of God. Sometimes that's coming to work with patience. Sometimes it's being willing to forgive. Sometimes it's willing to look on the bright side even when everyone else doesn't. Sometimes it means that after prayerful consideration, the place where we're at, we just, maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to look somewhere else. But even before that, God's given us the tools. So I want you to leave with this question, then we'll pray. What does working for the Lord at your job look like for you tomorrow? I don't know what it looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. What does working for the Lord 
at your job, your season of life look like for you tomorrow? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for whatever season of life that we're in. And yes, every season has its challenges. Every season has its opportunities. And Lord, may you help instill in us this slight shift or maybe major shift in perspective that whatever season of life we're in, that tomorrow can be a new day with new purpose and a new boss that we work for and live for. Ask your blessing upon uh, the people gathered in this room with that in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.